Gaffigan record tonight, you know, about like good quality family time. Would that be correct? Awesome. Um, so I'm Chris. You guys are stuck with me uh, for a little while. I'll be like bringing everyone up and like kind of uh, emceeing the thing or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could go with that too. Yeah, absolutely. I love San Francisco. Yeah, like I mean, I'm I'm from Boston, and like you know, like you know, everyone's so like nice here. Like in Boston, like they think you know they'll call you a homophobic slur if you smile, you know, and like everyone's just like very like friendly around here, and uh, it's hard to get used to because I live in Boston. I live in a, a part of Boston called Somerville, and. Uh, I'll break down Somerville for you. It's uh, it's like a neighborhood that was historically blue collar, but it, it got gentrified the past few years. So sometimes you see like this clash in cultures. Like the other day, I'm just walking down the street drinking a bottle of water and like this grizzled towny looking guy just comes right up to me and he just goes, hey, what's in the bottle? And, and I was like, it's water. <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, water and what? I was like, nah, man, it's just water. You know what he did? He called me a yuppie. <laughs> All right, not everyone's on board. All right, so um, if you don't know that term yuppie, it's just a slang term. It just means young urban professional. And that's cute because I'm 33 and unemployed, so uh, I'm just fucking with you guys. <laughs> 34. Um God damn it, 35. Um, the joke's like two years old. Um, since I wrote that joke, um, I, I got a job. Now during the day, I work for a tech-based healthcare company. I don't know what the fuck that is, but I do it. Um, no one seems to believe I'm in that line of work because I look like a can of Coors Light came to life. But... Uh, <laughs> not nice I uh, actually worked for my previous employer they like laid me off and then they brought me back which is like really fucked up because I wasn't really crushing it in my last position like my last performance review all it said was Chris does what's required of him and the fucked up thing is that's not even true all right <laughs> you know I'm not required to steal printers so like uh I saw him out of my car back home, so, uh, yeah. I actually didn't uh, get a driver's license, though, until I was 28 years old, though, because I suffer from intense anxiety. What's up, ladies? And uh, so, like, once I, I got into my 20s, dating got to be a little awkward, you know, because, like, I'd ask a woman out, and she'd be like, okay, are you going to pick me up? And she'd be like, no, I'm not going to pick you up because I don't have a car. I don't have a license because I suffer from anxiety. Because, <laughs> you know, that sounds like really weak and timid, right? Do you know what I did? I just told him I had a DUI, you know? Because <laughs> that sounds noble, at least, right? <laughs> so finally, when I was 28, I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I got to get a car, you know? Because sad buying Coke on a bike and... Uh, <laughs> You guys ever have a coke dealer laugh at you? <laughs> He's like, bitch, nice helmet. So, uh, <laughs> all right, quick timeout. I don't do coke anymore, so you can like shake my hand after the show, or unless you have coke, uh, give it to me for free. Um, 
No, it, it got to be too intense, so I quit. Like, I'll give you an example. I remember doing cocaine with my friends in my 20s. Uh, we would say things like, all right, let's go out to the bar, and we'll meet some women, and we'll shut the bar down, all right? Because the night's young, and the sky's the limit. I do coke in my 30s. I say things like, I'll stab my boss. Just occurred to me that's a pretty grim thing to say in a hosting spot. Like, I'm actually trying to be warm and engaging to, like, make the other comics look better. So here's the thing in comedy. Uh, when you're the host, uh, you're supposed to be, like, you know, warm and engaging and not say, like, a lot of dirty things in your time up top. But um, I live in Boston where, like, everything is cured by Jameson. So, like, I wouldn't know, like, you know, how that works. So, But um, it was fun, though, getting a license at 28, though, in Boston, though. Like... It's kind of like learning to hate again, and uh, I can remember my first road rage incident because this guy like cut me off, so I cut him off, and we just started cutting each other off back and forth, back and forth until we're neck and neck on the road, and he just rolls down his window and starts screaming at me verbatim. My first thought was like, everyone I love, like half that list won't make the cut, you know? <laughs> like not even close. <laughs> My second thought was he's gonna say something racist and I know what you guys are thinking, Chris, how could that be you're white? I'm like, it's Boston, he'll find a way. And uh, <laughs> he'll back into it, right? Thing is, I grew up in Boston, so I'm like used to those types of situations, and I can handle myself. But I was still new to driving. All right, I'm just trying to keep my hands at 10, 2 o'clock, and not ram into a fucking pole. Okay, I didn't know what to do. So when this guy threatened to kill my entire family, I just replied, "Hey, that's illegal." <laughs> it was real slick. He goes, "I don't give a fuck if I go to jail for the rest of my fucking life." You hear me? I was like, all right, this guy's insane, all right? So we step on the gas, and we're coming up towards an intersection, and he just goes to me. He goes, you hear me? I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. And just then we come to the intersection, the light turns yellow. I keep going. I look back, and he stopped at the light. <laughs> I just thought, man, there's some lines you just don't cross, you know? <laughs> so this is a... DUI related show. Um, I, I actually don't have a DUI, uh, but I, I will say one time my car broke down. Uh, my car broke down uh, in an intersection uh, during rush hour in the pouring rain, and my alternator died. And uh, I'm not too savvy with cars, but to explain that to everyone, that means your brake lights don't work, nothing works. So literally my car was just like a, a two-ton paperweight in the middle of rush hour traffic. So I literally had to get out of my car and start, like, directing everyone around me during rush hour traffic. And all of a sudden a cop just walks up to me and he just goes, Hey, move your car, get it out of the fucking street, all right? I was like, I, I can't, my car died. He goes, well, then put your hazards on. I was like, I can't put my hazards on. My alternator died, all right? My brake lights don't work. Nothing works. The car's dead. I'm screwed. He just goes, oh. Well, good luck with that. <laughs>
and he just peels out. So every car that kept driving by me just keeps going, put your hazards on! So after about 20 cars, it starts like building to this crescendo, right? And the vein in my forehead starts popping in and out and in and out. And finally, after the 20th car drove past me and goes, put your hazards on, I just look at him and I go, I am the fucking hazard! (laughs) And it all worked out. Guys, are you ready for this show to start? Come on, like you mean it! So psyched for this show. This lineup is killer. Everyone, put your hands together. Welcome to the stage. Your first comic for the evening, Jay Wook. Yeah, give it up for Chris, everybody. Give it up. Uh, Full disclosure, I'm a very good drunk driver. Since you guys in the Bay Area invited, invited, invented Uber, I no longer, I've retired. Unlike Jordan, I will not come out of retirement. I'm going to do it right. But I have a lot of stories. Um, when I was young, I think my parents knew that this is what was going to happen. And uh, when I had my permit, went over to my buddy Reddick's house. Love that guy. Shout out, Reddick. I love using real names. Makes it better. And drank all night. Went hard. Went crazy. Totally stupid. 15. Woo! Spring break. It was great. It was great. And then my dad rolled up at seven o'clock in the morning. We stopped drinking around six. And he made me drive home. You guys were practicing for one driving test. I was practicing for a completely different one. And you know, I think he was just getting me prepared for this kind of lifestyle. I mean, I'm not happy about a lot of choices I've made, clearly. I don't eat well. I have drank and drove, and uh, I got so good at it in high school. Um, it was like this was, you know, my first time ever drunk driving was with a permit. My first time, like, ever, like, coming down to I borrowed my mom's minivan because what better, you know, put a bunch of drunk teenagers in one vehicle instead of all of us hitting each other with a bunch of vehicles. It's great. And it, this was my first time experiencing two stop signs right next to each other. And I look over to my buddy Reddick. Yeah, he's kind of involved in a lot of my drunk driving stories. Maybe he invi- invented Uber. <laughs> Fucking A. Ah, oh, I love you guys. Uber, 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 invited, invited, invited. But no, and uh, <laughs> and he said, dude, just close one eye. And I was like, but which one's the right one? Like, I just picked, and we all made it home. Give it up. No one died. Like, these are... My DUI, my oh my DUI stories are about success. They're about good stuff, you know? And uh, too bad I couldn't use Uber for this last one because, again, this is my retirement story right here. Did a show in Stockton. You guys ever been there? Whew, yeah, no one clapped for that either. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Luckily, I was driving while white as well as driving while influenced. <laughs> They're not looking for me there. They're just not. And I felt real confident about that. But guess what? They found me. They found me. And uh, if you guys have teenagers or, you know, want to teach someone how to be great, the Michael Jordan of DUI, the G-O-A-T of D-U-I, GOAT, greatest of all time. Yeah, I called it, at driving drunk. 
I, I want I want the news to have me drive drunk on Thanksgiving to show people the effects of it because I think I could beat that test. You guys never watch. You never see, fuck it. All right, never mind. I do. I think I could prove them wrong. You know, some of us we're not all built the same. This guy can do gang load of cocaine and be perfectly fine. You know, he's built different. We're all built different. I could handle this. But my last time I got pulled over in Stockton. And I'm with another comic. She's like, oh, my God, you're going to go to jail. Now am I going to get home? <laughs> I'm worried about the same thing. <laughs> Not at all. Just, I was like, chill out. And so I have this little thing, a scope in my car for emergencies or before I go in and kiss my wife. And uh, I was like, I got to use it now. And uh, I put it in there. And I was like, I can't spit it out. So I hold it in my mouth. And I was I got to swallow like a champ. I took it down like it's prom night, the whole thing. No scope anywhere. Okay, so that's one thing. I have bad tendencies where I'm a bad person. Scope in the car, just look for those things. If your son has scope in the car, it's not for a good reason. The worst thing, the best thing to come out of that would be he gets a girl pregnant. Okay, there's no reason to have scope in the car. Get this scope out of the car. But I also cruise with coffee and cigarettes because that masks stuff up. So I told her, look, I'm really worried about you getting home too, but you need to light up two cigarettes real quick. And she did. And I said, no, just chill the fuck out. Roll the windows all the way down, turn the car off, put the keys on the dashboard. They come over, grab my ID, and they go, hey, you know why we pulled you over? I said, yeah. I pulled out, and it wasn't safe. It's always the safest thing to say. I had no fucking idea why he pulled me over. And he goes, well, give me your ID look around check it all out let me go I, I wouldn't clap for that either they clearly did not do a good job all right i drove all the way there pre-gaming i enjoyed the game while the show went on and drove home right after i didn't go run a mile first i had way better parking than i got here you can fucking where i park i'm gonna walk this fucking buzz off that's for sure gosh but you know it's bad. Sometimes you're really good at stuff, and it's not for anyone's good. But support your children if they're good at something like this and be like my dad and just, you know, start on their permit because if you get a DUI and you don't have a license, I don't think it counts, and I think that's why he did it. Hey, everybody, thank you very much. My name is Jay Rook. Jay Rook, everybody. Keep it going for him. Jay was talking about scope. Uh, I accidentally uh, sold scope uh, to my neighbors as a kid. Um, when I was a kid, I wanted money for a bike, and my dad was like, I'm not giving you money. Find a way to get the money for the bike. And uh, I noticed all the kids in my neighborhood like had lemonade stands, which is a nice way to turn a buck, but I looked in the fridge. We had no lemonade. He was like, you got to find a way to get the money for the bike. So I looked all through the house to find something to sell. And I came across a case of Listerine. I was like, fuck it, I'll sell that, all right? So I sold it for a dollar a cup, like at a stand, all right? But I knew no one would buy it, so I sold it as mint drink. <laughs> and business was booming, people were buying it. Here's the thing, I don't know if you guys remember, um, in the early 1990s, Listerine was like 27% alcohol, so like, I guess some of the neighborhood kids were going home like slurring their speech or something like that, I don't know. Not really my problem, but uh, 
So all the kids in the neighborhood, their parents, like, grabbed them, and they're like, oh, my God, who did this to you? And they all ratted me out, you know, because dr- <laughs> drunks can't keep a secret, you know? So uh, <laughs> they all called my dad, and, uh, you know, they ratted me out. And uh, my parents, you know, when it came time to discipline me, my mom looked at me, and uh, she goes, Chris, I'm so disappointed in you. I can't believe you did this. I- I'm disgusted. I'm ashamed of you. I just felt horrible. And then I look at my, at my dad, and he's just beaming with pride. And he just looks at me, and he goes, you thought outside the box. <laughs> and my mom's like, David, that's not the message we're trying to send here, all right? He just got all the kids liquored up. He, he grabbed the first liquid he could and sold it to them. My dad's like, yeah, it could have been worse. It could have been bleach, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> would have been pretty cool if it had been bleach, right? <laughs> then I'd be famous, you know? <laughs> Guys, you want to keep the show going or what? Awesome. All right. Give it up for your next comic. Coming all the way to us from Portland, Oregon. All right. She hosts a great uh, show in Portland. Uh, It's called uh, Minority Retort. Everyone, nice and loud. For Julia Ramos. Thank you. Deja vu. (laughs) Just here. Uh, this show's called Oh My DUI, and you guys, which one do you want to hear about? (laughs) 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 There's two. (laughs) Yeah, the second one? Oh, it's so, yeah, it's a good one. It's the best one of all of them, that's for sure. Um, so for the second one, I do have to give you a little bit of background on the first one. I got the first one in 2009, and, uh, I had been drinking all day, as you do, (laughs) I had my uh, my bank job at the time, and I was actually so good at my job that I was like, I can do this drunk. That's no big deal at all. <laughs> it was a slow branch. I justified it well. <laughs> and I remember, I do remember there was this one time this guy uh, came in, and I did my job, and uh, returned later on that day, and I was like, wow, twice in one day, what are you doing? He's like, he gave me the receipt that I had handed him, and I had taken a $300 check and turned it into a $30,000 check. <laughs> the bank fired me. I never even saw it coming. I don't know. <laughs> um, I was like, you could have been rich. This was your moment to take that. So I'd actually been drinking. That <laughs> was my bad. You know, I get one of those. Um, I'd been drinking all day long, and I went and met a friend in downtown Portland, which now I drive by all the time. I was like, I don't know how I could have gotten lost, but I did. We went to dinner and it was in December and it was had been snowing all day long and there like everything stops for the snow. And so uh, everybody was at this place where we were at. We were going to get dinner and a drink, right? Not a big deal. And so I remember I was waiting there and because they were so busy, um, I ended up not getting dinner until like, I mean, we had been there for about an hour and a half, two hours. So on top of drinking all day long, I had drinks there. And I was like, oh, I'm not hungry. <laughs> And so I remember I walked outside and I was like, God, I guess I should find my car. So I went, found my car and was like, I got this. No big deal. I do this all the time. I'm going to nail it. <laughs> I ended up uh, from southwest Portland to southeast Portland. They're not very far from each other, but it was very much the wrong direction. And uh, I ended up sideswiping a car Uh, It was a parked car, thankfully, and I was going so slow that the person behind me caught the cops. So they showed up. (laughs) That's when I actually came to a little bit, and um, 
I remember I pulled over because I knew I was supposed to do that. And as I was waiting, I was like, oh, no, this is not good. And I grabbed the only thing in my car that I had that wasn't alcohol, which was a menthol cough drop. Um, That pretty much just magnifies the smell of alcohol if anybody's had that. And so, yeah, it was not the best moment for me. Um, He came to the window and knocked on the window. I rolled it down and he very much just, you know, have you been drinking? I said, yes. He says, how many? And I was like... Two beers, I think, you know? <laughs> I wasn't going to say one. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> and so um, <laughs> and so he actually just took me right to his car and um, went, to, went to jail, had the first DUI. And the thing about the first DUI is that I already knew that I had a problem. You know what I mean? Like, I knew I had a problem when I turned watching the show Intervention into a drinking game. Anyone else? Still me. Okay. <laughs> But that was it. So, like, and once I got that first DUI, in a weird way, it was a badge of honor. Like, my friends high-fived me. The cop that I was friends with from high school was like, everybody gets one. Like, it was not a big deal whatsoever. But, like, I knew that that was, like, a big deal for me. I was like, oh, I got to be more careful about this drinking and driving thing. They're starting to catch on. Um, (laughs) And so... I waited about three years um, until the second one. So the second one, and this is part of, like, where the last show, uh, I'm Mexican. I'm very much Mexican. I'm about 85% Mexican, and but I'm very light-skinned. And there was a time while I was drinking and driving that I got pulled over three times in four days, <laughs> drunk for all of them. Not once did I have to step out of the car. Tell us where the Portland police are at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very lucky lady right here. Um, so with the second one, I was back to my drinking all day long, right? And I actually, at this point, my car had stopped working because sometimes I would um, put oil in it and not put the oil cap back on. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I was just like, well, it's fine. I'll just keep putting oil in it all the time. Not a big deal. So the engine blew up. <laughs> I'll remember to stop and add more oil. Uh, engine blew up, no car. And so that was actually good. That was really good for me at that time. I was like, I'll just take a cab to and from work. I'll figure it out that way. Well, one weekend, my stepmom was going to be out of town on a cruise. And so my dad was like, hey, let's hang out. Why don't you, um, he had a work vehicle. And then he had my stepmom's car. He's like, since you don't have a car, why don't you just use your stepmom's car? I'll use the work vehicle. And then, you know, if I need it, I'll let you know. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, And so I was constantly carrying alcohol on me at this point. Like, I needed it all the time. And so I had little airline bottles of alcohol in my purse and a water bottle filled up with alcohol in my purse. That was, that's what we, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I did a good job. And um, (laughs) so... I remember that day uh, I'd gone to work and I was actually supposed to work like a split shift. So I was going to work till about, I think it was like two o'clock, go home and then come back at four and work for a couple of hours for a friend. And I was like, no problem. I got this. And I actually was running low on the water bottle of alcohol that I had. And I was like, I'm going to go home, fill it up, feed my turtle that I lost. (laughs) somewhere for five days (laughs) i was just like i'm gonna put little bouts of lettuce and she's gonna find it (laughs) um like a responsible adult uh and so i went home did that and i actually don't recall leaving the apartment i got on um the highway there and at the highway where i needed to get off it actually merges with another highway 
And at some point, I um, crashed, I guess. That's what they said. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The ambulance was right there. It was like, it was great. The efficiency, wonderful. Comment card sent in, no problem. Uh, so they did. So the ambulance was there, took me back, and I found out that that day on a Monday afternoon at 3.45, I had a .396 split alcohol content. Yeah, right? I was good at it. Yeah, very good at it. <laughs> I was good. Even when they told me, I was like, I don't know what that means, but that's high and I like it. <laughs> uh, and so I remember like uh, the officer was asking me questions and he was sitting in front of me and he was just like, I cannot believe that you're answering these right now. And I was like, I don't know what you mean. And he's like, well, let me just tell you that if I were to drink your blood right now, I would get a buzz. <laughs> I was like, officer, <laughs> I wouldn't say no, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was drunk. <laughs> so he took my ass to jail, <laughs> as he should have. Uh, and he did. I remember, like, on the way, and this is back to that, like, white privilege, like, they even let me pick the radio station that I listened to on the way to jail. I was like, what? Oh, my God. I was like, the police are great. <laughs> Motown, please. Hello. <laughs> Let's get this party started. <laughs> So he did on the way, and I remember like we came to a stoplight, you guys, and like he yelled out the car window to the car next to us and was like, uh, you know, is that your car? And the guy's like, yeah. He's like, okay, you know, your tags are expired. The guy's like, yeah, I'm on my way there right now. And the officer was like, they're always on their way. <laughs> From the back seat, you guys, fully handcuffed, I go, oh my God. <laughs> Can you believe some people? <laughs> <laughs> I look back at it now and I'm like proud of myself <laughs> that I was able to like, you know, be that real in that moment with my thoughts and no filter, but what an asshole. <laughs> I'm not proud of it, I'm just very self-aware. <laughs> so he did, he, you know, he took me to jail and it's still like, it boggles the mind now that I'm looking back at all of this. Cause like I got in a little bit of trouble. I was on probation, it wasn't alcohol related. It was just like not following the rules. <laughs> so I went to jail again <laughs> for a couple of days. And I remember like I'm sitting there, <laughs> proud parents, um, I'm sitting there like waiting to get booked and the officer comes over to me and I'm waiting in line and he's just like, um, I just have to, s what did you do? He's like, I can't imagine that you would do anything. And I was like, oh my God, this system is broken. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Julia Ramos, everybody, keep it going for her. When she had the radio in that cop car and she said the police, I was like, she wants Sting? Like, I don't know, that's what I was thinking of, uh, yeah. Every breath you take into a breathalyzer. Oh, okay, all right. That is literally the worst thing I ever said on stage, but thank you guys for sitting through that. Um, fuck you, Jeremiah. <laughs> You're getting the worst intro ever. <laughs> Guys, we're going to keep this show going. I uh, love this ex-comic. Uh, we did a show together last night. Uh, just, uh, I was dying, man. He's great. Everyone, give it up for Brian Bixby. All right, thank you. I, uh, yeah, I've been, I, I like drinking. I still do it a lot. Uh, my, my parents were big drinkers. Like, I remember even when I was, like, as young as, like, five years old, my dad would let me try a sip of his beer, like, uh, but first I had to take a shot of Jaeger, like, I had to, 
<laughs> Learn to hold your own kid. First time that I got drunk, like wasted drunk, blackout drunk, I was 10 years old. My mom gave me malt liquor, <laughs> which is adorable when you think about a child holding a 40 with both hands, just <laughs> pouring it back, bitching about SpongeBob, like, ah, let me tell you, uh, Patrick. <laughs> Blacked out, puking in uh, my Scooby-Doo underwear. <laughs> like, I still wear Scooby-Doo underwear. Yeah, I didn't tell you when that was. Uh, <laughs> That was Tuesday. Rut row, that was funnier than my joke. That was good. Rut row. Yeah, I, uh, most of my, <laughs> most of my uh, run-ins with the law and drinking all happened before, like when I was underage, like before I was 21. Uh, I remember the first time that I was at a party that was busted. Uh, the cops came in. And for some reason, I decided to suck on, like, a mouthful of pennies because somebody told me that would work, <laughs> like, that would trick the breathalyzer. I don't know how, like, the breathalyzer is going to be like, oh, man, he just has pennies. He can't afford booze. Like, this guy's broke. But no, it's more like, oh, he's sucking on pennies. Lock him up. Like, this guy's wasted. He's trying to eat change. <laughs> like. I uh, I used to, in order to get out of underage drinking tickets, there was uh, three times I did this, I uh, would tell the cops that I was going to kill myself. <laughs> I'd tell them that, and then they would just take me to the psych ward, and they wouldn't find me at all. Like, But I'd be black out when that happened, and waking up the next morning is... Way stranger when you have a hangover. Like, in jail, it's one thing. Like, you wake up and there's, like, bars on the window. You're the only white guy. You know where you are, right? Psych ward, it's different. You wake up, there's some guy talking to a ficus. Like, there's people running around just wag. Some guy's just staring in your face when you your eyes open. He's just, like, so it's scary. That's all I have about that. Uh... I liked my stay at the psych ward. It was great. It was good. I just spent, first time I spent like three days there just shuffling around in slipper socks, just putting together puzzles. It was like preschool. It was great. It was awesome. I'd go back if they had Legos, but they can't because it's choking hazard. Uh, I still drink. I love drinking. Uh, I, I'll drink almost anything. I can't drink vodka anymore. Had to stop. Can't do it. Uh, it just always gives me chlamydia, you know, like every time. It's an awful drink. I'm kidding. I have actually, I'm proud to say, I've never had an STD test ever. Uh, not once. If you don't test, you can never fail. That's what I always say. Yeah, I like the drinking. Um, people always told me, you know, don't drink tequila. You'll end up naked. And I'm like, bullshit. But they were right. Uh, I pissed my pants, so <laughs> I was naked. Is it possible to drink whiskey without fighting a cowboy? I don't know. Is it? 
my favorite is beer. That's what I drink the most, uh, beer. They, uh, they say that every can of beer contains approximately one pork chop in calories. But I have never eaten nine pork chops and felt like, now I can talk to women all of a sudden. Like, it's never like, oh, he ate a whole rack of ribs. Now he won't stop dancing. Look at him go. Like, there's no music. <laughs> no. I just get the meat sweats and have to lay down. That's all. <laughs> and nap. I like, uh... I like drugs, too. I'm a big fan of drugs. Uh, Ow! Mushrooms. Anybody? Magic mushrooms. Magic mushrooms. Like, you have to know a wizard to get them. Like, yeah. Could you conjure me up some (laughs) mushrooms? It's always uh, such an enlightening experience every time you take mushrooms. Uh, Like, the last time I took them, I just spent four hours just staring at a wall that was it and then I realized they were shiitake mushrooms and I'm just a boring person like that was I suck that was my big realization like a lot of drugs uh sometimes sometimes uh, I smoke crack uh sometimes only in the mornings uh because coffee makes me shit so I choose crack I uh, I think about the apocalypse a lot. I do. What I think is I'm going to die real fast. It's okay. I'm supposed to. What's the last movie you saw where the survivors are like an ex-Marine, some hot chick, and a fat, cowardly ginger just walking through some zombie town smearing on sunscreen like, how far is it? I <laughs> can't keep going. I've always, uh, always been blubbery, uh, just, just forever, like, I don't, like, I remember, like, and, like, my mom always used to tell people, like, oh, it's just baby fat, that's all, just a little baby fat, and they'd be like, wow, really, uh, how many babies did he eat, because (laughs) most people won't tell you when you're fat, like, they won't be like, oh, you're too fat, like, Old people will, though. <laughs> like, they will. They don't give a shit. <laughs> I remember the last time that I saw my great-grandmother alive. She said to me, she's like, Brian, you're getting too fat. And then she died right there. So sad. I was so fat, she had a heart attack. That's what happened. I uh, I prefer to blame it on my dad, who raised me to eat whatever I wanted. He let me eat anything. He's just like, oh, yeah, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? What could go wrong? That's when I shake my tits in his face. Like, well, you can motorboat your son. That might be wrong. I don't know. Is uh, Thank you, sir. <laughs> Sometimes I uh, sometimes I like to squeeze my fat tits together, right? <laughs> and then I jizz on them. That's what I do. Uh, 
I come on my gooey man tits, and that makes it okay that I have them. <laughs> I was hilarious a minute ago. <laughs> Come on your tits once, and everybody who's walking out, huh? <laughs> the party's over once you come on your tits. <laughs> no, I think it's good. <laughs> I think that makes it okay that I have them, right? Because the sad part about man tits is they have no purpose. But mine saved me from coming in my face, so <laughs> it's, pretty <laughs> it's a pretty useful. I uh, I hate people in shape. I do. <laughs> Fuck you if you have abs. Fuck you. Like, I totally get why joggers are always getting murdered, you know, because... <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I used to have... I used to have friends who always wanted to go hiking, like up hills and shit like man fuck you like i'm not walking up a if i'm walking in the middle of nowhere you better be killing me because i'm not walking back <laughs> i'm not coming back ever try to look like you're not following somebody when you're really not following them it's weird like for some reason every time i get off the bus at the same stop as a woman i'm convinced that i'm following her i don't know Enough that I have to yell, like, I'm not following you. But I'm a really bad, nervous laugher, so it comes out like, I'm not following you. <laughs> like, hey, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, have a good night. Brian Bixby, everybody. Keep it going for him. We are down to your final comic. You guys ready? Are you ready? I love this guy. Um, this is like the second festival we've done together in a few months. Uh, love working with him. He's hilarious. Guys, let's take this thing home with Jeremiah Coughlin. Hey, everybody. Keep it going for Chris, your host. Let's have a hand for Pam for doing all this. Thank you. This guy for securing the entrance just in case... I don't know what the fuck he's doing, but he feels good about it. So, uh, yeah, uh, Brian, that was really funny. I'm ghosts of fucking Bixby's future, I guess, is what you say if you look at me. <laughs> We're like Russian nesting dolls or something. Like, I came out of his ass earlier today. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you guys a couple stories. Uh, one of them about uh, the time I could have got a DUI, but I didn't. Uh, instead, I only got pepper sprayed by the police. Uh, yeah, right? Could have been a lot worse. Could have been a lot worse. Uh, God, there's so many fucking stories I have. I was just talking about this last night when we were talking about uh, blood alcohol levels, where I was talking about when I was 20 years old, I drove my dad's Mercedes into a tree, and uh, like I got out and ran for like a couple blocks because I, I was like, we'll just tell them somebody stole it, right? And then... Uh, and then I was like, nah, I got to go back and face the music, right? And then uh, the cops showed up. And I blew a .079. Yeah. 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 After driving into someone's front yard, I didn't get a DUI. I was just like, no, I was tired. I fell asleep, which is true, but the crank had a lot to do with that. Uh, 
But uh, when I first moved to Portland, I was 26 years old. Uh, I was dating a girl, and we went to Brewfest. Uh, I'd only been, you can't leave, miss. You just can't. You just fucking can't. Sit back down and listen to my story. What could be more important than this? Uh, let her go. Come on, what's the word? What's going to happen? You should be. You should be. You feel shame. Uh, when I was 26 years old, I just moved to Portland, and I was dating this girl, and I decided to go to Brewfest with my buddies. Anybody ever been to a Brewfest, maybe? Yeah, it's great, right? Uh, I got fucking blackout drunk at Brewfest, and there was a girl there who wasn't my girlfriend, but I thought she was going to bang me. Uh, so I, I, uh, I was a real stand-up guy, so I didn't want to cheat on my current girlfriend, so I broke up with her with a text message. Yeah, because yeah, cause I'm a good person. And uh, so we, we, um, we partied, and then that girl didn't uh, bang me. Uh, so I went back to my buddy's hotel with him, and my phone was about to die, and I wanted to text the girl that I'd broken up with and try to do some damage control, right? See, because that other girl didn't fuck me. And so the only charger I had for my phone was a car charger. So I went and I sat in the front seat of my car, and the last thing I remember was turn my key to where the uh, phone charger would work. And that's the last thing I remember. And the next thing happened, uh, I'm face down on the concrete, and there's two people on my back. And I don't know who they are or what they want. Yeah, I have no fucking clue how these people got there. Uh, and I just remember thinking, you need to get up right now or you're going to die. I don't know why they're going to kill you, but if you don't stand up, they're, you're going to die. These people are going to kill you. And so uh, adrenaline's a crazy drug, and I actually did a push-up with two large men on my back. And I had bruises up and down my arms from them trying to, like, hack my arms out from underneath me. And I just wouldn't fucking give up, right? And then I heard one of them say to the other one, all right, let's just fucking do this. And then uh, what that meant, I didn't know, uh, <laughs> was code for uh, let's empty a can of pepper spray on this kid's face. Uh, yeah, and I don't know if you can see me, but a whole can of pepper. I can't eat medium salsa, right? I'm the whitest <laughs> fucking person you've ever. I don't, I, don't, I don't need a fucking can of pepper spray. Uh, but they emptied it. They got every drop out of that. And I was so I was so fucked up that uh, I was like the next thing that really I remember is being in the back of the car. I'm handcuffed. I'm in the back of the car, and I look down, and my shirt is like red, and I think that I'm bleeding. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Like, what did you pigs do to me? Did you beat me up? And there's like, he's like, dude, you don't remember? We just fucking pepper sprayed you. And I was like, no, I don't remember that. Because uh, pepper spray is red, if you didn't know that. It looks a lot like blood. Uh, and so my nice uh, polo shirt from Old Navy is now ruined. And they take me to the drunk tank. Ooh, that was a lot of spit. Sorry. Uh, they take me to the drunk tank. And, like, I just moved to Portland from Kennewick, Washington. I'm, like, this 25-year-old kid. I'm scared. And they take me to the drunk tank. And they took my shirt away uh, because they had hosed me down. Like, I had a little Tommy Boy moment where I was a maniac. And they were... <laughs> They're hosing me down, yeah. And they take my shirt away and they give me like a like a OR scrub, like a purple smock. And they put that on me and they put me in the drunk tank and I'm like terrified. I'm like, I hope no one talks to me. I don't want to interact with anybody, right? It's like w the weekend of Brewfest, so it's like extra. There's a lot of fucking people in the drunk tank, right? 
And I walk in, and it's like all these people that I'm a terrified of are like, holy fuck, look at that guy. I'm not sitting by him, right? Because I've got a face as red as the devil's dick and a purple. Like, I look like I need to be in the fucking psych ward, right? And so <laughs> they let me out, uh, and I uh, this is at Hooper, and I walked uh, from the Hooper Detox Center uh, to where the hotel was once they let me out a couple hours later. Like, the girl who was the intake person, that cop who pepper sprayed me was her boyfriend. And she was like, hey, uh, he feels really bad. This is all a misunderstanding. I was like, yeah, I, I know. Uh, and then I, I walked, which is like, I found out now, it's like a five-mile walk uh, it, through, like, the worst part of Portland. And same thing. I'm like, holy shit, look at all these homeless people. I'm so scared. And they were like, holy fuck, look at that guy. And they were, like, crossing the street to get away from me. And um, I went there, and I took a shower, uh, which uh, hurts really bad because pepper spray is oil-based, and it just gets on your balls, and it fucking hurts so bad. It's the worst pain you'll ever feel. And I got I got a hold of the girl that I <laughs> broke up with and went over, and we made up, and then we had sex, and then, like, right as that started, she was like, why am I on fire right now? Because that shit, some shit just doesn't wash off. Yeah, and... Uh, I'm happy. The happy ending to that story is that uh, two years ago, me and that girl got a divorce. Uh, so yeah, thank you. Uh, but I don't, I don't drink anymore. Uh, I, I gave that up. Yeah, not for. I'm not a prohibitionist or anything, but I did too much shit like that. Uh, I feel like I, I went out the right way though. Uh, like my last drunk started on a Tuesday in Las Vegas, Nevada, and ended on the following Tuesday in my front yard in Beaverton, Oregon. And I have no fucking clue what happened in those few days. Uh, yeah, it's like some people can't handle Vegas, right? You've heard that? This guy right here, this guy couldn't handle Vegas, yeah. I also couldn't handle, like, uh, Wilmington, Delaware, Bowling Green, Ohio, <laughs> Richland, Washington, Santa Fe, New Mexico. I got kicked out of a lot of places. Uh, I don't know how I'm – how am I doing on time? Can I tell you one more story? Okay, I'm going to tell one more story. Uh, about the time that we should have gotten it. Well, one of my friends did get a DUI in this story. Uh, when I was 18 years old uh, in Kennewick, Washington, our women's, our Lady Lions uh, basketball team uh, went to the state tournament in Tacoma, Washington. And yeah, they were undefeated. And so we all got as many uh, drugs as we could. And we actually, <laughs> we, uh, we had like an ounce of weed, you know, it was like the whole like list, right? We had like an ounce of weed, a salt shaker, cocaine, uh, like six tabs of LSD. Like we had a bunch of shit and we were going to leave Thursday morning to go to the basketball tournament. And Wednesday night, we all met at my buddy Jordan's, uh, mom's house. We're like, uh, yeah. So, uh, at like nine o'clock, we we're like, you know, we should eat some of this acid. <laughs> and that seemed like a really good idea. And then around 11 o'clock, it was like, hey, instead of leaving in the morning, let's just go right now. Uh, so we all piled into my buddy Casey's mom's uh, Dodge Voyager uh, van minivan. And uh, we were all real fucking high. And we all, we'd made uh, our own T-shirts. We made white T-shirts that said fear and loathing in Tacoma on them. Because uh, we thought we were the funniest uh, little fucking high school kids. And we were going over Snoqualmie Pass. And we were about halfway there. My buddy Jordan, who was the only, like, sober one, he was smoking weed. Uh, but we were all really fucked up. And he would, like, straddle the white line and, like, on the drunk bumps and roll the windows down because it was, like, 3 in the morning at this point and yell, wake up, call at all of us uh, who were in the backseat tripping balls. And uh, the Washington State Patrol saw him doing that. 
and they didn't like that. Uh, they, they frowned upon that. Uh, I should back up that earlier in the night I had uh, convinced everybody in the van that we should take our pants off. Uh, not like naked naked, but just like in our underwear. It's like, you know, it's comfortable. It's a lot more comfortable if you just take your pants off. And they bought it. And everyone took their pants off except for Jordan who was driving. And the Washington State Patrol came up to the van and was like, you know, there's like smoke pouring out the windows. And they are like, uh, what the hell is going on here? Uh, who's got the weed? And we were like, oh, no, we're just smoking cigarettes, whatever. And they were like, no, you kids are fucked up. And, yeah, he didn't buy it. And so uh, officer whatever comes over and he, he opens the sliding door of the van. And there's like four high school kids with no pants on just like sitting there. And the first thing he says is, Jesus, what are you boys, jacking off in here? Right? And we're like, not yet. You know, I mean, you kind of fucking ruined that. And so uh, there was two kids named Casey in the van. And the other one, uh, (laughs) little Casey, uh, his dad was our high school's dare officer. And uh, they took us all, yeah, they took us all out of the van. And they made Casey put his pants back on. And then they searched him. And in his pocket was a baggie with uh, like three sugar cubes with LSD on them. And the cop pulls this out of his pocket and he goes, hey, why do you have sugar cubes in your pocket? Are you a diabetic? And he said, no, it's acid. (laughs) Like an idiot. Like, yeah, you're diabetic, you fucking moron. Like, what are you doing? So they took us... So, (laughs) yeah, so there's, like, the Snoqualmie County Sheriff, which, I mean, it took those guys two seasons to figure out who killed Laura Palmer, right? So they don't, they don't know, (laughs) they don't know shit. And uh, (laughs) uh, the Washington State Patrol, and they take us, and, uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, so these two, like, these three fat cops are standing there, and me and my buddies are all on acid, and we're like, dude, this is pretty fucked, and we're in the back of the car at one point, and my buddy Vince has like an Instamatic like paper camera, remember those? And he's like, hey, do you want me to take your picture? And we're like, no, sh- please stop. And he's like, I said I'm sorry, and he keeps taking our pictures like Pee Wee Herman. And so we all climb up this hill, and this big fat cop goes, any of you boys running, I'm shooting, which is not something you want to hear when you're on acid. And they, they took Casey, whose dare officer parents had to come get him, and they put him in the holding cell, and we're all kind of standing there. And I'm like, I'm going in this bathroom, and the floor looks like the bottom of a swimming pool, and I'm just frying balls, right? And we look, and there's a tiny window, and Casey's sitting there at the window like, hey, guys, like, you got you to gotta help me. Like, you know, he's just freaking the fuck out. And uh, the only thing I could say was, you should have been fucking diabetic when you had the chance, you fucking moron. <laughs> Uh, so none of that went on my permanent record, but that's all I have. Thank you guys so much. That was fun. Jeremiah Coughlin, everybody. Keep it going for him. Guys, that has been the Night Clock Show. Thank you so much for coming. Give it up for all the comics you saw. Give it up for yourselves. And please stick around. Uh, there is a 10 o'clock show. It's called the Underwear Show. Uh, it is going to get wild, so stick around if you want. Take care. Blown away. Blown away. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? 
We'll gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer ya. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-face McRat. <laughs> hey, everybody. Listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for me five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh. The dentists are just liberal propaganda. Are you telling me a fact right now? I'm telling you a 100% fact. You hear the news? I like an adult podcast. You hear the news? I like an adult podcast. Handsome, tall, athletic. You slobs just <laughs> getting it on, dude. Being so bad that even your parents can't stay together. 690 pages of just 69ing on a beanbag jet. Smack, smack like a fucking frog. Jokes every Thursday, 7 to 9, with True Hustle Thursdays. Hashtag THC. That's hashtag THC. You want more open mics? Fridays, Flap. 6 to 8. Happy hour Flap with Classic on George Muni Radio. D. Smith. Pew, pew, pew. 
for open mics every week at Mutiny Radio. I knew these people, these two people. <clears throat> they were in love with each other. The girl was very young, about 17 or 18, I guess. And the guy was quite a bit older. He was kind of raggedy and
she was very beautiful, you know? And together they turned everything into a kind of an adventure. She liked that. Just an ordinary trip down to the grocery store was full of adventure. And they were always laughing at stupid things. He liked to make her laugh. And they didn't much care for anything else uh, because all they wanted to do was be with each other. They were always together. And he, he loved her more than he ever felt possible. He couldn't stand being away from her um, during the day when he went to work. So he'd quit just to be home with her. Then he'd get another job when the money ran out. And then he'd quit again. But pretty soon she started to worry. About what? Money, I guess. Not having enough. Hmm. Not knowing when the next check was coming in. Yeah, I know that feeling. So he started to get kind of torn inside. Coming in. Yeah, I know that feeling. So he started to get kind of torn inside. How do you mean? Well, he knew he had to work to support her, but he couldn't stand being away from her either. And the more he was away from her, the crazier he got. Except now, he got really crazy. He started imagining all kinds of things. Like what? He started thinking that she was seeing other men on the sly. He'd come home from work and accuse her of spending the day with somebody else. He'd yell at her, break things in the trailer. Anyway, he started to drink real bad. And he'd stay out late to test her, to see if she'd get jealous. He wanted her to get jealous, but she didn't. She just worried about him. But that got him even madder. He thought if she never got jealous of him, that she didn't really care about him. Jealousy was a sign of her love for him. And then one night, one night, she told him that she was pregnant. She was about three or four months pregnant, and he didn't even know. And then suddenly everything changed. He stopped drinking, got a steady job. He was convinced that she loved him now because she was carrying his child. And he was going to dedicate himself to making a home for her. But a funny thing started to happen. He didn't even notice it at first. 
she started to change. From the day the baby was born, she began to get irritated with everything around her. She got mad at everything. Even the babies seemed to be an injustice to her. He kept trying to make everything all right for her, buy her things, take her out to dinner once a week. But nothing seemed to satisfy her. For two years, he struggled to pull them back together like they were when they first met. But finally, he knew it was never going to work out. So he hit the bottle again. But this time it got mean. This time when he came home late at night, she wasn't worried about him or jealous. She was just enraged. She accused him of holding her captive by making her have a baby. She told him that she dreamed about escaping. That was all she dreamed about, escape. She saw herself at night running naked down a highway running across fields, running down riverbeds, always running. And always, just when she was about to get away, he'd be there. He would stop her somehow. He would just appear and stop her. And when she told him these dreams, he believed them. He knew she had to be stopped or she'd leave him forever. So he tied a cowbell to her ankle so he could hear at night if she tried to get out of bed. But she learned how to muffle the bell by stuffing a sock into it and inching her way out of the bed and into the night. He caught her one night when the sock fell out and he heard her trying to run to the highway. He caught her and dragged her back to the trailer and tied her to the stove with his belt just left her there, went back to bed, and lay there listening to her scream. Then he listened to his son's scream. And he was surprised at himself because he didn't feel anything anymore. All he wanted to do was sleep. And for the first time, he wished he were far away. this place without knowing its name. And when he woke up, he was on fire. There were blue flames burning the sheets of his bed. He ran through the flames toward the only two people he loved. But they were gone. His arms were burning, and he threw himself outside ground. Then he ran. He never looked back at the fire. He just ran. He ran until the sun came up. And he couldn't run any further. the sun went down, he ran again. 
five days he ran like this until every sign of man had disappeared.
Black Black Plastic is the show on Mutiny Radio that you're listening to. Keep it listening. August 1934. Several months later, I began to feel heavy and tremors inside of my womb. My breasts are full of milk. The child does not belong in my life, for I have too many people to take care of. I have already too many children. As D.H. Lawrence said, do not bring any more children into the world, bring hope into the world. There are too many men without hope and faith in the world. Too much work to do, too many to serve and care for. Already, I have more than I can bear. I sit in the studio in the dark, talking to my child. You should not be thrust into this black world, in which even the greatest joys are tainted with pain, in which we are slaves to material forces. He kicked and stirred. So full of energy, my child. How much better it would be if you had stayed away from Earth in obscurity and unconsciousness, in the paradise of non-being. My little one not born yet, you are the future. I would prefer to live with men in the present, not with future extensions of myself into the future. I feel your small feet kicking against my womb. It is very dark in the room we're sitting in, just as dark as it must be for you inside of me. But it must be sweeter for you to be lying in the warmth than it is for me to be seeking in this dark room the joy of not knowing, not feeling, not seeing, the joy of lying still and quiet in utter warmth and darkness. All of us forever seeking again this warmth and this darkness, this being alive without pain, this being alive without anxiety or fear or aloneness. You are impatient to live. You kick with your small feet, my little one not born yet. You ought to die in warmth and darkness. You ought to die because in the world there are no real fathers, not in heaven or on earth. The German doctor has been here. While he examines me, we talk about the persecution of the Jews in Berlin. Life is full of terror and wonder. He said, you were not built for maternity. I sit in the dark studio and talk to the child. You can see by what is happening in the world that there is no father taking care of us. We are all orphans. 
You will be a child without a father, as I was a child without a father. That is why I did all the caring. I nursed the whole world. When there was war and persecution, I wept for all the wounds inflicted. And where there were injustices, I struggled to return life, to recreate hope. The woman loved and cared too much. But inside of this woman, there is still a child. There is still the ghost of a little girl forever wailing inside, wailing the loss of her father. Will you go about, as I did, knocking on windows, watching every caress and protective love given to other children? For as soon as you will be born, as just as soon as I was born, man, the husband, lover, friend, will leave, as my father did. Man is a child, afraid of fatherhood. Man is a child, and not a father. Man is an artist who needs all the care, all the warmth for himself, as my father did. There's no end to his needs. He needs faith, indulgence, humor. He needs worship, good cooking, mended socks, elves, a hostess, a mistress, a mother, a sister, a secretary, a friend. He needs to be the only one in the world. Hate your wailing and your slobbering and your sickness and my feeding you rather than his work, his creation. He might cast you aside for this love of his work which brings him praise and power. He might run away as my father ran away from his wife and children and you would be abandoned as I was. It would be better to die than to be abandoned for you would spend your life haunting the world for this lost father this fragment of your body and soul, this lost fragment of your very self. There is no father on earth. We were deluded by this shadow of God the Father cast on the world, a shadow larger than man. This shadow you would worship and seek to touch, dreaming day and night of its warmth and of its greatness, dreaming of it covering you and lulling you, larger than a hammock, as large as the sky, big enough to hold your soul and all your fears, larger than man or woman, than church or house, the shadow of a magic father who is nowhere to be found. It is the shadow of God the Father. It would be better if you died inside of me, quietly, in the warmth and in the darkness. The doctor does not hear the breathing of the child. He rushes me to the clinic. I feel resigned and yet deep down terrified of the anesthetic. Feeling of oppression, remembrance of other anesthetics, anxiety, like a birth trauma. The child is six months old. They might save it. Anxiety. Fear of death, fear of yielding to eternal sleep. But I lay smiling and joking. I was wheeled to the operating room, legs tied and raised, the pose of love in a cold, white operating room, with the clatter of instruments and the smell of antiseptics and the voice of the doctor and I trembling with cold, blue with cold and anxiety. The smell of ether, the cold numbness trickling through the veins, the heaviness, the paralysis, 
but the mind still clear and struggling with the concept of death, against death, against sleep. The voices grow dimmer. I have no longer the capacity to answer. The desire to sigh, sob, to murmur. Ça va, madame? Ça va, madame? Ça va, madame? Ça va, madame? Ça va, madame?
Miles every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastics books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastics deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant... But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the... Hey, everybody. Um, my guests didn't show up, so I'm just going to replay last week's Some Call Me Tim. And uh, thanks for listening. Oh, and um, These Bastards is in the second hour, and they're a really great band. And I saw them last week, and they're playing again on March 9th at the Parkside with War Bison. So check out These Bastards in the second hour. And uh, enjoy some Call Me Tim. When it's 2 o'clock on a Wednesday, you know what time it is. It's time to talk about what people believe in, what makes them tick, why we're on this planet. Some Call Me Tim! Here on Mutiny Radio. I am joined today by comedian... Sommier, bearded dude, Kelly Evans. Hi. Hello. How's it going? Hey. Also, great radio voice. Excited to have you here. <laughs> Why? Thank you. On some call me Tim. Uh, the reason we call the show we, as in me, as in the Queen. The reason I call the show some call me Tim is from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, mm-hmm. and the Enchanter, and they say, "What is your name? What is your quest? What is your favorite color?" And then the guy's like blowing things up. <laughs> And then they say, some call me Tim. So that's why the name of the show, because people seem to be in search for the meaning and the answer to life and all this kind of stuff. And I'm interested in why people stay alive and why, what they believe in their afterlife and how they were raised and are they moral and what is morality and 
Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And whatever you believe in. I mean, we had a guy in here who talked, Warhol Kaufman talked for cons- about conspiracy theories for 60 minutes. He talked oh. about why the moon landing is false. And I was like, all right, if that's what you believe in, buddy, I'm going with you. Let's go. All right. That's, yeah. Take the Alternative. Train. <laughs> yeah. Someone last night tried to uh, convince me of the... Uh, the flat earth theory and I was Holy like shit. I was like girlfriend I love you but you gotta get off that cocaine okay yeah, <laughs> it's no. like, I just don't I don't get that I don't understand I don't how that happens I mean please we people know are looking for something right. to believe in so much you know or not believe in you know yeah like when reality is this terrifying I think some people just want to question it all you know and so that's where stuff like that comes up like sure. you just you look at the world around you and it's confusing and so you're like alright well it's just let's, I want simpler answers and the simplest answer is I'm being lied to it's a conspiracy. The simplest answer is I'm being lied to. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, a, a, like a renunciation sure. of complexity, which I think was why there's like an anti-science movement in this country, you know? It's just easier. It's like an easier solution to say that, uh, you know, uh, it's flat earth and, you know, with almost, like, I, the, the, I don't know, the reasoning behind it is very questionable and kind of simplistic, uh, versus facing the reality that science is complicated, that scientists don't really know uh, everything, and that part of science is experimenting and finding out new things that are uh, maybe somewhat frightening, like the atomic bomb, things like that. Well, things fall at 9.8 meters per second squared, and we call it gravity, but why? It's like, because we're tilted on this axis at this certain degree, and we're spinning this one direction as this going around this other thing, like that there's the concept of like orbital science and mass, and I mean, it's all very heady stuff, but people have figured it out, and I I, I guess they figured it out. Maybe we're all just lying to each other. We're like, "Eh, I think I figured it out this way. Could all be a simulation. How much? Oh, right. All right, Matrix. So usually, Kelly Evans, I ask people to look deep into the eyes of Sparkle Jesus, and I ask you first, mm-hmm. do you believe in Jesus? Uh, as a person, yes. As a divine person, no. He was a guy who walked the earth. Yeah. He's a guy that was there who had, uh, you know, maybe some strong philosophical ideas at a time when uh, there were two very potent power structures between uh, the Hebrew uh, organized religion and the Roman uh, military. And, you know, Interesting. He was a pacifist. He brought out new ideas about that we should all get along. The poor man is king. You know, which right. are all really enticing if you have a boot on your neck. And so, sure. you know, you got to think like, uh, I heard a comedian recently talk about like, oh, it was Neil Brennan talking about how um, like, we killed him <laughs> and he's like his ideas weren't even that complex it's like treat other people like you want to be treated like that seems like a really obvious idea so i mean it's understandable that people would want to make him define i mean and they went to great lengths to make him seem more magical than he really was I mean, the Romans at the time, they were really brutal. Crucifixion is a horrible way to die. Not just because it, and a lot of people are confused. They're like, well, they put the nails in Jesus' hands and feet and then they hung them on a cross. That wasn't the stuff that kills you in crucifixion. You suffocate because of the way that you're hanged. They even give you a little foothold so that you can sort of be alive for a little bit until you're not strong enough and you give up and then you asphyxiate. Your lungs like collapse on itself and that you take a breath and then you let it out and you can't take in another breath. Yeah. And so you just died horrible deaths. Horrible. For no for for what reason? Because someone stole something? Yeah. Because like or 
I mean, I think burning is also a pretty bad right. way to Drawn go. Drawn and quartered. Oof. Have you heard what that is? Yeah, they put horses on one. Oh, it's more than that. They do like they cut out your entrails. They keep you alive. They hang you. They cut you up. They, it's like it's like uh, everything you could possibly do to a person. I thought and it then, was when they tied a horse to each one of your extremities, and then the horses ran in different directions. That's what I thought too. But that's like a small part of it. It's much more. They like cut out your heart while you're still alive. Like it's really, it's very intense. <laughs> I mean, but it wasn't even for like human sacrifice. Can we get all down on the Aztecs for making walls of, you know, human skulls and shit and yeah. and for doing human sacrifice and yet they were at least killing people for a purpose. Like it was to make the sun god yeah. right. To them, to yeah. make the crops go and to make everybody live, you had to kill some people. There's part of religion right there. <laughs> right, right. But that's like the basic, but then, but when we, when we kill people in such a horrific fashion, like what we did to the witches or what we, what we did to traitors or, I mean, the, all that stuff, all of those torture devices that were used yeah. in the the Catholic Church was using torture devices against not only witches but Muslims yeah. during the Crusades and they would I mean the Iron Maiden is like a thing with spikes in it that Ugh. you put it it's like a helmet with spikes in it that they put on your head so you're like or in your whole body you get inside it and it's like Jesus yeah. Oh, so I was actually yeah. thinking about this outside, kind of talking about uh, the horrible things that we do to one another uh, <laughs> for whatever reasons. And, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about religion like, uh, oh, well, religion's caused so many wars or religion has caused uh, so much order for society. And I was like, I think religion was just one way to do it. I mean, I, I, it's not like if we didn't have religion, we wouldn't find some other reason to torture or kill each other. It would be over land or some whatever. You know, we found plenty of ways, you know, to to do that and it you know i would say overall in the last couple hundred years um like worldwide violence has been reducing poverty has been reducing it's still a long way to go obviously um but like in a time when i think religion is on a decline kind of globally you know what i mean in some respects like there's a scientific element that kind of dominates society more at least western at least society. western sure i i i can agree with the there aren't as many. Well, and also we're in San Francisco, so it's impossible to tell what's really like the the pulse of people's moralistic standpoint. Oh, I try to read world news, which is once again like who knows what you're really getting. Well, yeah. and when you have a moralistic standpoint, it's like where are you coming from? And for me, I try to keep it deeply personal, but a lot of times it somehow gets extended into something somebody else is doing is evil. But is it really any of your business? Like, why are we calling out? The, it's the biblical thing of why t uh, take the plank out of your own eye before you remove the speck of your brother's eye. You know, you're yeah. like, I mean, I get the, hey, you got something over there on your face. And it's like you got this huge thing in your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's a, a theme you see is, you know, uh, you know, those who live in glass houses shouldn't cast stones. Um, but, you know, regarding judging others, I, kind of getting into a different territory, uh, I, I'm a utilitarian by nature, so I think greatest good for the greatest amount of people, which unfortunately means some people lose out. That does happen, but, you know, more people win. I don't want to say use the term winning. I hate that term. More people uh, are able to kind of thrive in life uh, than uh, with any other possible way that we know of. So if you had that age-old question of you've got one person on the tracks and if you can flip the switch either that one person dies or the entire train dies you're killing the one person yeah even well, if it's someone you know let's say your mom's on the tracks or there's a train full of you there's 
a thousand people on a train. Yeah. Well, there's. And you can either kill your mom, or you can, you can kill your mom and have the thousand people live, or you can have the train derail and keep your mom. What do you choose? Yeah. Well, uh, there's two ways that that question is asked. It's like the one is, you know, like my mom's on the tracks, and uh, if I do nothing, then she'll get run over. But if I move the switch, then the train full of people will go off a cliff or something. And the other way that they phrase that is, um, like, you can stop the train <laughs> theoretically by pushing somebody in front of it um, and then save all those people, but you would intentionally murder someone uh, oh. to do it. So that's, that's the, it's, well, I hate the, save your mom. it's the fat man in the trolley is what it's called. It's sure. the moral uh, dilemma. Uh, anyway, it, theoretically, there's this gigantic man that would be able to stop this train and say, anyway. I'm a sizist, so I say kill that fat fucker. <laughs> <laughs> I would, uh, I mean, as far as like, if my mom's on the tracks, you know, uh, I love you, mom, but I, you know, I got, it's, it's a hard decision it's to make. For the, it's for the, it's for the thousand people. But a thousand people is a lot of people that die just for one. I mean, I would make that sacrifice myself, you know, if I'm on the tracks, I would not expect anybody to save my life and dispel of, you know, another thousand individuals. I mean, even maybe, five more people. Maybe you know? that's the most moralistic answer to the story is push your mom out of the way and have yourself die. The yeah. self, the sacrifice. That's what Jesus would do. There you go. And then he'd turn the other cheek. He'd Amen. resurrect and he'd do it again. <laughs> I don't have that ability. No, though. I don't want to do any. Or maybe we do. Uh, I mean, who knows? Only one way to find out, right? Right. <laughs> like the afterlife is just, I mean. That, that collectively we all sort of, and we don't all sort of want to believe in an afterlife. There's so many different religions that choose, you know, different scenarios for what happens after our earthly demise. And I don't fucking understand. I don't know what happens to, I, I mean, consciousness is weird because I sleep a lot <laughs> and yeah. I'm unconscious and I've drunk a lot. Oh, but my yeah. body's still awake and going when I'm drunk. I just don't. My my brain's not creating memories. So where did I go? Well, that, was that, I there? Right. This is an interesting idea. I think about this a lot because I'm I'm honest. To be honest, I'm terrified of death at this point. I'm getting more comfortable with it uh, as I get a little bit older. Um, but uh, I'm just I, it's and it's not so much being dead. It's like the transition that scares me. You know. Right. Right. And then like right. where where is the line? Like if I get hit by a car and then I lose like a good portion of brain functioning like am i still me like what happens to me like what what is that you know and then so i you know i would consider myself uh, god I'd, I'd a deist probably i believe that there's some sort of creative force in the universe but there's no possible way we could ever understand it or if there is an intention i mean intention is something that we assign to will which i just don't know if that's really applicable in this situation anyway so intelligent design you believe in intelligent design you think that there's something out there that is a created the cogs that make the wheels turn i believe in evolution i believe in science i believe in the big bang but i believe that uh there's some sort of force behind that you know and but what that is i have no idea so a I would, giant I would, black hole yeah it could be that yeah it <laughs> could be that could be i mean the thing is there's so much that we don't understand about the world around us physical reality like this is we have like a sliver of perception of what's really going on and to think that like we could understand like the forces behind that are at work it just makes no sense now when people assign a will to that is like that's what you want sure which you know people use that for different reasons some of them are productive i guess well that that makes me think about projecting your own will that's like satanism kind of stuff like whatever you believe is real and you 
anything you create, you like selfishness is the ultimate goal because mm-hmm. you ultimately have to serve yourself and rather than the rather than the group of the whole. Do you find do you find yourself in your life trying to thinking about service and thinking about helping other people or or do you feel more like you're taking care of yourself and that's that's it that's all you need? I think it varies on the day, you know, I, I, I want to try to help others in whatever way I can and the moments that I have an opportunity, but uh, yeah, I mean, taking care of yourself is a struggle, you know, I'm, you know, I don't have like a really uh, great safety net, you know, like I don't have a rich family or uh, anyone I can kind of go back home, like, and I'm not going back to Texas, so <laughs> I refuse to do that, you know, not going back, so you'd yeah, need, yeah. you need a, a costume, you'd need a MAGA hat, you'd, need, you'd have to <laughs> Yeah, shave. I'm going undercover. Yeah, you'd have to shave your beard or make it bigger and you'd have to get a MAGA yeah. hat and uh, Zach Wiseman uh, is in the house hey, he, he looks Zach. like he has something to say nope okay. all right he's good just to gonna come gonna sit hang down. out good to see you hey hello uh so are you uh are you in a relationship with any people I am actually you yeah. are so I'm you do think about other people on a on a yeah basis. no no, no. and that's what I'm saying relationships like, you're in you know I, I guess what I'm trying to differentiate between is like the small things I can do. Like I, uh, I periodically have conversations with, uh, you know, a group of people that I'm friends with and like if somebody's down or there's some sort of conflict, I want to try to help out to resolve that and like get everybody to get along and, you know, so we can all be the great people that we are without getting hung up on like small things that don't really matter in the long run. Uh, Voice so, of reason, Kelly Evans. Uh, dropping in like an angel. <laughs> so, I don't know if I'd go that far. All right. Anyway, uh, but like... As far as the world at large, like, uh, admittedly, am I uh, volunteering at a homeless shelter? No, I could do more. You know, I could. And I feel that. And, uh, you know, honestly, I do feel guilty sometimes that I don't do more. I think that you should really go on a pilgrimage into the Tenderloin and find that person with a space bag and take away that space bag of Franzia and replace it with a nice 97 Clodeval. (laughs) You can take the Franzia out of their hand and you can replace it with even, you know, like. Doing God's work. Doing God's work, giving them the better wine. You know what I mean? Like it's the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ. Yeah, what year? Fine, eighty-nine. You know, mm. was that was that a good year? I hey, I like sure. Ninety-five was a really great year for Claude Val Cabernet. I enjoyed it nice. very much. It's an expensive bottle. It's good. Yeah. It's a long time ago now. Shit is pricey. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love that. But you know, and here's here's my special deal. This is somebody on the bacon the other day was like, Sue, so when you're going to Napa, like, tell me some wine. Oh, it was broke ass Stewart. Tell me some wineries that you like really like to go to in Napa. And I said, the downtown Napa Safeway. <laughs> That's exactly where you fucking go. Every time I go to Napa, I don't actually go wine tasting anymore yeah. because I went to Clodeval a long time ago and I had two free. Pa- One of our buddies had passes from something. And so we, they were like $50. It's like 50 bucks to taste there now, right? And then they give you like a discount on your bottle of wine or whatever. But the, it was a $52 bottle of Cabernet. And and then we went to Safeway and the same exact bottle, same exact vintage was 32 And mm-hmm. if you bought six bottles of any wine, you got 20% off. 